Who's this, Bronson? You know who it is. <laughs> Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yes, as we start the, uh, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Makes sense, right? Man, land, and sea, earth, wind, and fire. Uh huh. News Talk K57. Good or good evening, rather. Uh, Dave Duenas, welcome to Man, Land, and Sea. Took a little bit of time. We got our guests coming in, getting them situated. Uh, you know, showing them uh, how to put on the headsets and hit the buttons, all that good stuff. We do have the, the good senator, Senator Sabina Perez. Half a day. Half David. a day. Half a day. <laughs> call me Dave, please. <laughs> Either that or I'm going to call you mom. <laughs> okay. <I'm> probably her age. <laughs> and uh, uh, our special guest from the University of Guam, uh, Dr. John Jensen with uh, Weary, better known as the uh, Water Water Energy. Water and Environmental. Water and Environmental. Uh, Res- we changed it about 25 years ago. Okay, there you go. Dr. Jensen, and uh, he brought a, a, a partner with him. Sir? Yep. Joe Rouse, also a weary, also helping with the engineering program, too. Sure. So, By all means, you can put your headsets on if you like. Um, that way, when we do get calls or anything, you can hear what the caller wants to talk about. And, uh, John, you know, as we were preparing to get the show started, uh, I was asking you actually a lot of questions because I, I, I know just a little bit about the aquifer and the water lens. One of the first things I asked John, and for those of you out there in radio, I said, you know, you hear about the water lens, you hear about the aquifer. Are they one and the same or not? And the answer was? The water lens is a layer of water inside the aquifer. Is it below or top or I mean, or it doesn't matter? It's a freshwater lens about 100 feet thick that floats on top of the seawater underneath it. Ah, fantastic. And, um, you know, another question as we were talking off the air, one of the questions I wanted to ask was, uh, if you pump the water straight out of the of the aquifer or the water lens, is it drinkable? Yep. It is? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we've got uh, a really terrific aquifer by worldwide standards. This is, this is one of the best. One of the best. Do we have any idea how much uh, the volume, the amount of water that that thing holds? Well, if you take the amount of water that you get during the rainy season, mm-hmm. which is the only time we get recharged to the aquifer, mm-hmm. and average that over 365 days of the year, uh-huh. it gives you an average of about 240 million gallons a day. Wow. So we got ample amount of water. We're, we're producing about 35 to 40 million gallons a day. Wow. Wow. I think the, one of the big questions I asked you, because I didn't know. I didn't know, and that's why I asked you to come in. You know, most of the people out there probably don't know as well. We always hear that it's in the northern part of Guam. And I asked you, I said, is there any in the south? You know, Agat, Marito, is there an aquifer or a water lens in that area? Well, the south is volcanic terrain instead of limestone. Limestone is really porous and absorbs water like a big sponge. Okay. The, uh, the volcanic rock doesn't have nearly the same porosity. So it doesn't absorb, and it doesn't absorb water as readily. But you can get water out of it. There are places you can put wells where you can get a few, say, 10 gallons a minute or 20 gallons a minute, which would be enough for a household. Mm-hmm. And uh, in contrast, in the north, GWA doesn't usually bother to bring a well online unless they get at least 150 gallons a minute out of it. They've got wells that, that uh, produce 500 gallons a minute. 
uh, the top producer is 750 gallons a minute, which is more than a million gallons a day. Hmm. Are you familiar with that, uh, I don't know if it's called actually a well or not, but in Tumon, right near Tarza? You ever been there? You ever seen yeah. that place? Yes. Senator? I got to tour it, actually. Yeah, it's, I went there, like, geez, got to be 30 years ago. It's a, it goes down. The Tumon Maui well, they call it. Yeah, that's operated, I believe, by the military. Uh, now it's uh, GWA is um, operating it as a proof of concept. Okay. So they were given the license to run it as long as they meet certain requirements as far as pumping mm-hmm. is concerned uh, to go towards the northern part of Guam or the base. And what's the name of that particular one? Uh, it's the Tumon Maui Well. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. just been it's called the Tumon Maui. Just an amazing facility. It, yeah. go, it goes, I don't know, maybe a few hundred feet underground. Right. It's like a cave. And then when you get down there, it's just a big crevasse, big opening down there with some huge machines. Right. How long has that been there? It's been there every for, day? for uh, heaven knows. Heaven knows. <laughs> <laughs> long, long time. And there's, is that a river? They also have like a, I don't know. It's a thousand foot long tunnel that was built by the military mm-hmm. in 1948, I think it was. Wow. I, I've got some articles from the Chicago Tribune that carry Yeah. I went uh, there once picture. and I yeah. was just blown away. I said, wow. Yeah. You know, going down is just awesome. It's just a, like a <laughs> hole in the ground going down with stairs and lights along and cables along yeah. the way. And they don't have anything really like it's that. Like that. It's a mine shaft in the, a way. Yeah, yeah. It was just yeah. awesome. And, and you uh, have to be careful because the oxygen, they really have to monitor the oxygen level. Oh, um, they didn't tell me that when they <laughs> went down. I was yeah. working for Anderson at the time, and uh, I think we had to go there to maintain some of the generators down there. But it was just an awesome, and it's it's an active well. Yeah, it's it's a, what hydrologists call a skimming well. Mm. It's skimming water right off the top of the lens. Uh, I see. It's right at the water table. The reason you go down is because you go down to sea level. The the lens is just a at, at that position close to the coast. It's only a few inches above sea level. Yeah, and I recall when you get all the way down in there. Uh, again, there's those huge machines. I guess the pumps. I guess. But then there's there was this. It looked like a river. It was just well, a little yeah, it's 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 water. You're you're looking at the lens when you're in. Wow, the, I was looking at the lens. Yeah, that's the top. Of, that's the top of the freshwater lens. Mm-hmm. Wow, um, that you've been you've been there. Yeah, I've been there, and actually you can see uh, how high the the high water mark uh-huh. by the I guess the, the it leaves a mark. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, it's kind of interesting how. Um, it can fluctuate, the level can fluctuate based mm-hmm. on the season. Is that yeah. the only type of, that type of well on island? Well, there's another one that's uh, in Tamooning behind the Taco Bell, behind by the ITC building. And it goes down it's, as well? It's called the ASORP tunnel. I mm-hmm. don't know what the acronym ACEORP stood for, but it was built by the Navy about that same era. And it, it's a three-pronged well. It doesn't, it, it has three tunnels that the beach go back a couple hundred feet, and so but it was salty from the beginning, mm-hmm. and uh, so they never really used it much, and it's it's been out of service for a long time. Here in Guam, are we ever ever in danger of uh, pumping up salty water? Well, we we could do it if we wanted to, but as long as we're careful and do it right, uh, we, we're well endowed. With stay them. stay within the limits, you know, as yeah. per se. Yeah, well, we're we're pumping about 17% of recharge. The rule of thumb amongst hydrologists is that you could um, 
you, you can pump up to about 40% of recharge before it gets too expensive and too too difficult to, to engineer the right kind of uh, wells. Mm -hmm. And Joe, uh, at Weary, what, uh, what exactly do you do there? Well, I'm the wastewater part of the cycle, mostly. Okay. Wastewater treatment, also water resources in general. Okay. Mm -hmm. Including not those on the surface, but in the groundwater as well, as it applied to the aquifer. Yeah. Is how often, if any, that the water lens, the aquifer, is uh, monitored, tested? Oh, great, great question. We have, we have. <laughs> I, from my understanding, it's quarterly. Um, Quarter they have to submit uh, yeah. some chloride. And who who does the testing? Waterworks? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, um, and very EPA important. Has to monitor that. Very important. You know, as a consumer, <laughs> I, I want to know. I want to make sure the water coming out of my. You know, they 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 tell me that uh, I drink bottled water at home, but uh, some people still to this day drink water straight from the tap. So mm -hmm. we, yeah, and we uh, rely on the uh, authority, Waterworks, for in this case, uh, to ensure that uh, we're we're drinking. You know water that's not contaminated. Right. Mm. And the Safe Drinking Water Act is the one that um, basically uh, oversees that. So um, the municipal water system is actually much more stringent than uh, the bottled water companies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, they have to follow regulations um, more tightly. They actually are monitored more closely by e EPA. Uh, so um, that's, that's something I think to um, consider when you're purchasing bottled water in addition to the plastic waste Yes. Um, you know, that, that Big problem, yes. And the, whatever leaches into your water uh, is something of concern. Mm. Yeah, our water is actually very good quality water. Yeah. I drink mm. the tap water. Yeah. It also has Sometime. calcium, too, right? So okay. It has calcium? Yes. Uh, in, <laughs> fact, in fact, I like to point out to my students, if you read the uh, chemical analysis of it, the natural mineral in it, it has the same analysis as Avion, which people pay... A couple, couple dollars for a liter of it. Wow! And you, you, you pay a hundredth of a cent for a gallon of GWA water, and it's a, it, it's it has the same hard. People are used to drinking hard water, mm -hmm. like the taste of hard water, and it's good for you because it has the same what your teeth and bones are made out of, and. Mm -hmm. uh, we we could we could bottle our water and sell it as Avion and nobody would know the difference. Well, <laughs> <laughs> prefer, prefer not to. <laughs> Just keep our water here. I live in the north, and every now and then, you know, like when I make my morning coffee, I prefer to use, which is my preference, with bottled water because I, right. I always feel the tap water has just. A taste of yeah, chlorine. Yeah. It just yeah. it just makes the coffee taste a little yeah. different. Well, in some places it's chlorinated more than it is in others. Uh huh. But uh, they're chlorinating it mainly just to meet regulatory standards and make sh absolutely sure it's safe. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of cases, um, it, it really doesn't need to be chlorinated. You could you, mm. could, you could drink it straight out of the well. And, mm, interesting, interesting. Um, I asked you before we went on the air. Um, I I know a little bit about it, but most people probably don't. And a description of how or what does a water aquifer or an aquifer look like? 
What is it? It's made out of here in the north. It's limestone. Okay. With well, a lot of holes in it or something. On the radio, you have to describe it. In, yes, in exactly. Words here, so <laughs> let me, let me yeah. Best you can. Layman's terms. Okay. Think, think of uh, now. Ours is a coastal island aquifer, so it's different than an aquifer in Idaho. Hmm. In what uh, sense? In the sense that it's like a big sponge. Think of the island as a big sponge sitting in a bowl of salt water. Okay. That comes about, say, halfway up the thickness of the sponge. So that sponge is going to contain salt water in the part that's underwater in the in the bowl. Mm-hmm. So that's the ocean, and, and that's the way it would look if there's no rain. If we had no rain, you'd just have seawater down there at sea level when you drill the well down there. Mm-hmm. Okay, now start raining. So take a, a water sprinkler and, uh, and sprinkle some water on the top of that sponge, and the sponge is going to absorb that water, and the fresh water will percolate down until it reaches the seawater. And when it reaches the seawater, it's going to float on the seawater because it's lighter than the seawater. Hmm. The seawater is heavier because it contains all that salt. Correct. How much salt does it contain? It, it contains it contains enough to float uh, the fresh water, just like water floats an ice cube because it's less dense. Hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, the misconception is that there's a lake, but that's yeah. not the case. It's not a an, an, a, a cavernous open space and there's a lake underneath. again that's that's why you know again it's difficult to describe uh, in, in words but uh, yeah. that's why I asked the question a lot of people out there most people don't know how does it look like we hear about the waterlands and the aquifer but how does what's the concept of the, how does it look and you explained it very well it's like a sponge and yeah and the other thing to know about it is, is that it's in motion as you as you as water percolates down Okay. Uh, we do have our first caller of the evening, and uh, it's for the senator. Senator, half a day. Half a day. Caller, you got a question? Half a day, Dave. Half a day, Dave. Half a day. Good evening. Hey, half a day, Guam, and, and Dr. Jensen and other guests. Very, very nice discussion on, on the aquifer and other things. Uh, this is Ron McNinch. I had a quick question for Senator Perez that's related to, to land, and it's, it's really to the a state historic preservation officer controversy, and I was wondering if I could just we could ask for the senator's views on it, and then I'll quickly hang up. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Ron. Uh, yeah, I think the her her termination I think was a, was a surprise to many of us. Yes. Um, and I think that um, uh, without uh, somebody there in the position who has such historical knowledge of what it takes to protect these um, our, our cultural sites. Um, we're at a risk of losing them, and I, I think it's important that she be reinstated in her position, um, considering what what's at stake. Thank you. Thank you, Senator, for responding to that, uh, Mr. McNitch and his call. And, um, again, the uh, waterlands, the aquifer is tested quarterly, you said? Um, that's my understanding, but I, I know we're going to have uh, Evangeline yes. uh, Lujan come in, so she could probably corroborate that. But yes, uh, last time I checked, it. I believe it was quarterly that they determine the, the salt levels, which is um, an indication of overpumping potentially and mm-hmm. may put us at risk of saltwater infiltration, which will uh, threaten the, the you know the, 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 our, our water. Mm-hmm. Is Guam, Guam EPA involved in this uh, testing as well? To 
whatever degree? I believe they they have to report to them. So oh, um, there okay. there is the regulatory networks that work together, mm, okay. and um, they uh, EPA does. Um, they're the ones that permit if there's additional wells that are going to be drilled. Um, they're the ones that oversee that. Yeah. yeah. We also have a monitoring program called the Comprehensive Water Monitoring Program. Okay. Which is uh, supported by the legislature and uh, provides matching funding with the federal government. The U.S. Geological Survey it sends uh, a team out quarterly. Mm-hmm. to collect data on seven wells that we have that penetrate the entire thickness of the lens. So we we are continually gathering data. We just download the data every uh, every uh, quarter. But uh, we're gathering continuous data on the water levels and the thickness of the freshwater lens, salinity profiles. Mm-hmm. There's a program underway now called the, the One Guam Aquifer Monitoring Program, in which the Navy is going to install seven additional wells in the areas that they're developing as part of the buildup. So we'll have 14 wells, and we'll have coverage of the entire aquifer, with are just one well in each basin. Are we in any jeopardy or danger of over-pumping with the buildup uh, no. schedule? No. Oh, great. That's good news. Good news. Mm-hmm. Exactly how far, how many feet down do you have to go to hit the, uh, the aquifer? You have to go to sea level. The, sea level. The, the water table is about, is from a few inches to a few feet above sea level. The thickest part is, is about four to six feet above sea level, and the thinnest part is right next to the coast, where it's virtually at sea level. Hmm. If, you're northern, mm. if you're northern Guam, though, that means you have to go down two, three, four, 500 feet sometimes to get uh-huh. to it through the limestone. Is there ever a time when the water, the aquifer is overfilled that the, the water leaches out somewhere? Mm-hmm. Great question. The, the water is continually in motion. It's in what hydrologists call a state of dynamic equilibrium. It says the, the amount of water that comes in is equal to the amount of water going out. Mm. It's like a big conveyor belt. And as the rainfall hits the surface, it's percolating down everywhere. And as that water percolates down to the water table, it fills up the lens. And the lens maintains a, a sufficient hydraulic gradient to push that water out at the coast. And uh, so mm. the recharge equals discharge. The places around the coastline where you can see fresh water seeping out. So, mm. if you if you go down to Tumon Bay in the afternoon, around the full moon or the uh, new moon, mm-hmm. when you got the really low tides and and the uh, whole beach is exposed and there's little springs and seeps with water running out of them, that's discharged from the aquifer. Ah, interesting. Really interesting mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, speaking of that, we do have a caller on. John, good evening, John. Up a day. Up a day. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, hey, I wanted to uh, uh, let the uh, listener know that I did uh, inquire uh, about the water quality, and I was um, pleasantly surprised to um, um, uh, get an answer about um, uh, one chemical that's, that's um, starting to become more newsworthy, and that's the per chlorinated fluorocarbons that are down in like. Um, Firefighter foam that could be uh, uh, pretty persistent in uh, certain aquifers, but I uh, just want to let the listening audience know that 
that there is no indication of that. I, I, re I received a, a recent email from, I guess, a, a water quality manager, and so that just increased my confidence in the local water quality. So I just wanted to see, uh, uh, to speak that, and thanks for taking my call. Thank you, John. Thank you. Uh, very good. Uh, Let's over PFOS compounds in general for a large category of different chemicals. PFOS would be one particular one. Um, yeah, well, well, that's a pretty relatively new concern, and we have a team studying that, but as far as I know, that has to be sampled off, I mean, determined off-island, right? There's no, no place we can get those analysis done on-island. Mm. And so it's, an, it's still an expensive Is it something that should be addressed probably um, in the future? Yes, uh, actually, um, there was, uh, um, what is it, a campaign last year uh, to include testing, biomonitoring mm -hmm. uh, for PFOS um, within communities that are close to bases or on bases. Mm -hmm. And so it was actually passed in the National Defense Authorization Act uh, for funding for that sort. And um, we still have a chance to actually be a part of that study. Um, I believe EPA is looking into applying for that to get some testing done on uh, children and adults in, in our community. And so, um, yeah, PFOS, so again, the Safe Drinking Water Act is what uh, determines uh, how, or how our water is regulated, our drinking water is regulated. Mm -hmm. And so there are chemicals that are not listed, and this is one of them that's an, it's called an emergent chemical. Uh, it's recognized as uh, something that causes health, health hazards. Mm. Um, and so right now EPA has a, a maximum limit of 70 parts per trillion. New Jersey, I believe, has 20 parts per trillion as what's allowable in their drinking water. Uh, California is still determining their level, and apparently it takes a lot of uh, studies uh, for this to be uh, a level to be set. So right now we're following EPA's limits. Um, there are two wells that are shut down because um, they haven't been able to remediate the problem. That's Agani Well 23 and Agani Well 25. And my understanding is that they need to acquire land to, to build a, um, a GAX, uh, a filter, mm -hmm. that would filter out the, the PFOS. Papa Day, good evening. Welcome back to Man, Land, and Sea. News of Guam and our island environment. Dave Duane is with you. And we've got the uh, good Senator Sabina uh, Paris with us. Dr. John Jensen with Weary and his partner, Jew. Joe, what's your last name again? Rouse. Rouse. I apologize. Yeah. I forgot my glasses at home. I can't see a darn thing. <laughs> can't see a darn thing. And we do have another guest coming in, uh, hopefully shortly, Banji Luhan with... Uh, I believe she's with GWA. GWA. Yeah, GWA. And uh, again, we, uh, during the break, uh, we were discussing that uh, PFOS. PFOS. Very uh, enlightening to know that uh, traces of that have been uh, found. Yeah. Well, they're showing up everywhere around the country. But <laughs> I think that's we, all, we all have it in our system, too, from what yeah. I understand. 90% of us probably. It's, it's in Scotchgard, the fabric. Uh, PFOS. Fabric treatments, and it, it's kind of everywhere. They only just recently discovered that it might be a problem. might not be very healthy for you. But uh, and also interesting to find out that uh, we don't have the testing equipment needed here on the island, and it has to be sent out to be tested. Is that right, Joe? Yes, for us it is. If there's yeah. a hidden equipment somewhere. <laughs> on the military base that we don't know about, I don't know. No, we have to send it out. There's a lot. I wonder mm -hmm. the cost on that. I wonder if it takes a lot. Um, that, that's a big part of the cost, well. shipping it to a mainland site, get it tested. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a matter of economies of scale. You know, does, this, uh, does one little lab 
buy an expensive machine just to do a few samples a year? Mm-hmm. Or do you send it to a big lab that does thousands of samples with True. their machine? Good point. And so Good point. Yeah, you gotta weigh the you know, mm-hmm. what the options are and but uh I for one, uh, you know, if it, it ain't too costly, uh I think it would be for the long haul, the long in the big picture yeah. it'll be a, a really good investment. Yeah, we're looking at expanding the Weary Lab and it's part of our strategic plan to mm-hmm. upgrade our lab facility and eventually uh, I'd like to move Weary into a larger building. Up, um, the university master plan calls for putting a, a new building for Weary next to the engineering school when it goes up. If I'm not mistaken, you're down mm-hmm. near Marine Lab, right? We're down next to Marine Lab. Yeah. yeah so uh, we're we're ready to expand. We're busting at the seams. We've got a new faculty member coming, and we're having to build a little cubicle for him in our back lab. Mm. And um, the, uh, the the work that we have coming in the uh, the potential for um, is Weary is Weary's budget tied in with UOGs? Yeah, we're part of UOG. Okay, we're we're, we're every land grant university and, and UOG is a land grant university has a water resources research institute mm-hmm. under the uh, Federal uh, Water Resources Act of 1964. Mm-hmm. Has the University of Guam, Senator, come up uh, on the budget hearing? Jeff? I believe so. Yeah, we did have a hearing early on. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't. I have to take a closer look and see the line item for um, Weary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we have. Uh, the university pays our faculty salaries, um, and the legislature, since uh, 1998, when they passed the uh, Public Law 24. 167 and 247 created the Guam Hydrologic Survey Program, which mandates us maintaining a database and providing advice and assistance to public agencies and and, and uh, the people of Guam, and uh, the Comprehensive Water Monitoring Program, which allows us to collect these data out of these wells and provide advice and assistance to the to the uh, government and, and public and private sectors. Those those are both supported by the legislature and very important, very productive. We've, we've graduated 50. We 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 support the environmental science program, graduate environmental science program. In fact, Dr. Rouse is is chair of the program, mm-hmm. and the uh, Weary faculty have have played an important role in that over the years. We've in the since we graduated our first student in. 1997, we've graduated almost 60 students now. Wow. And Incredible. most of them, a lot of them have stayed here on island and, and they're working in the uh, public and private sector. We're real proud of them. Yeah, you should be. Yeah, fantastic that they're staying. You know. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. We train them and then they take off. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, no. Stay here. Help uh, help mm-hmm. our island, help our environment. You know, our environment is very fragile. We And we, the people of Guam, can, you know, if we can do anything that we can in our part, mm-hmm. To ensure that uh, you know we're not contaminating our, our water source, for mm-hmm. example, and I, I brought this up briefly with you, John. Um, uh, contamination, you know, we, we hear about don't dump waste oil and directly on the soil. That that has possible uh, effects to the contaminating our water, right? Yeah, we we want to practice good uh, conservation habits. And Proper disposal of hazardous materials is, is an important one to teach our kids in the school and mm-hmm. for all of us to do right. 
In addition to salinity, we're also testing like a nitrogen in the form of nitrate, which is a good indicator of human activity. Hmm. So it's um, How about, is there any data, any de data on, you know, we do have a lot of uh, wildlife out there, you know, pigs, for example, wild pigs, and are they having any effect on uh, the quality of the water or being contaminated to an extent? In principle, anything would. I mean, a lot of people probably are greater concerned than the pigs. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, well, don't, so, don't. <laughs> uh, We've got a lot of pigs here. Much of the northern Guam is um, not sewer. It's a lot of it's still a septic tank zones. Yes. And um, if yes. they're operating properly, though, it's um, spread out in tile fields or it's just like a, a biologically active treatment plant in itself. And the Vedal zone is very thick and we're monitoring it closely. So nitrates, if they get up to, well, the limit is 10 milligrams per liter, but if they reach 5 milligrams per liter, GWA sounds the alarm. And we sort of evaluate why it's getting higher. Mm -hmm. um, it's okay now, but we do see a, a creep creeping up in the amount of nitrogen in the groundwater. Yeah, that's, that's a challenge, I think, when you live over your water source. I, I know in the states they, they coordinate it off. There's a you know, fence around the reservoir. Um, but here we live atop where our drinking water comes from. And so, and, you know, when I, we go out and we do outreach for, um, you know, uh, illegal regarding illegal dumping, that's some, something I want to get across is people don't realize that our drinking water comes from the ground or most of the drinking water comes from the ground. And so when you dump things out, uh, whether it be just, you know, plastic bottles or oil, that eventually uh, whatever chemicals that are there can leach into your own drinking water and, and impact exactly. your own health. Exactly. Well, even to, you know, even to a, a while back, it's probably a few months ago, this got to do with uh, uh, prescription drugs. You know, they tell you, turn them in. You know, if you're not using them anymore, don't dispose them in your toilet or whatever because <laughs> you wind up getting some <laughs> some drugs in the water. I don't know, but... Uh, That's something we don't test is, the, you know, the, you know the, the pharmaceutical drugs, the exactly. caffeine, and that out eventually can end up in our coral reef, yes. uh, in our oceans, and affecting our reefs. Okay. So yeah, I and hope that never happens. Yeah. And Joe mentioned briefly about uh, you know the effects that uh, you know versus pigs, you know, humans, us. Um, you know, most of us are, some of us are on the sewer system, the sewer lines, and others have septic tanks, but some of them don't have nothing. They're just still using the old-fashioned outhouse. Is that something that uh, through legislation we can mandate by law? Or I don't know, maybe it is a law already. Um, possibly. But I was told by one of the experts that uh, his concern was more of the sewer uh, because if there's a breakage, you'll get a, a huge concentration of nitrates. And um, he felt like he, I, the person I spoke to said um, the, the subject tanks, at least the, 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 there's a small concentration, but when you're dealing with the sewage pipes, hmm. that might be a bigger concern. True, yeah. It's, um, it's very preliminary, not statistically significant, really, but in sewer zones, it, it looks, at times we see higher nitrate concentrations as opposed to non-sewered zones. Mm -hmm. One break can be a, really a, can do a lot of damage. Yeah. I, years ago, they had a contractor, and it was uh, via the Navy, the Navy housing area. They brought in a contractor from the States to, they actually sent uh, cameras. In, under the sewer lines to take pictures and see if there's any cracks, and then this machine would go in there and and fix them or uh, 
hey, well, you plug them up, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, yeah and maybe for that exact type of purpose, right? To uh, I'm sure more of that would be in, in mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't believe, I don't know if Guam ever done it, but... Uh, well, I know they're doing, going through a lot of uh, capital improvement projects, and part of that is the sewage, uh, pr uh, replacing the sewer lines. Yes. Yeah, because of the fact, like uh, like Joe said, you know, if they're if they're cracked or damaged, it could be a higher concentrate of uh, contaminants. Mm -hmm. But as far as that technology, I think there is something, uh, if I recall, um, there is they're using some special type of technology. Yeah, uh, this was like, geez, got to be about 30, 35, 40 years ago. But uh, they actually, I remember, I was working that job. I was hired uh, temporarily by the contractor that they brought in from the states, and they actually they. It was a jet, uh, water jet propulsion. They sent it in there into the sewer line with a camera attached to it, and then it finds the damage or the crack, and then it has another machine that goes in there and kind of seals off that particular area and uh, seals the crack. I wonder so, how things have advanced since then. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, I would imagine, and I don't know, do you, Senator, or Waterworks, like I said, with the capital improvement, yeah. maybe that's something they're going to be addressing. Yeah, I think there was mm -hmm. something they're, they're doing that's a unique and um, more advanced, but I, I don't recall the actual term or the, the term for that. Yeah, and and, and again, you know, most of us, uh, you know, we just take it for granted. We got water coming out, everything's good, everything's fine. It's we're drinking good water, and as John said, Dr. Jensen, uh, we got some of the best water and one of the best water lenses in the world. So. And we talked about that briefly. Uh, I said, Saipan, you ever been to Saipan, John? You know, I, the water there was so salty, salty. And you mentioned to me that uh, they either have the, the wells dug too deep or they were over-pumping the water. But uh, I said, well, couldn't it, wouldn't it be as simple as to just take that pump and bring it up a little bit so they're not sucking up all the salt water instead? And he said, yeah, it probably can be done. Yeah, they could. In fact, they've made some progress up there, but uh, they they have uh, uh, good parts of their aquifer that could be developed properly. And it's it's a matter of getting the water from where it is to where it's needed. Mm. And uh, you know, in, in the old days, they didn't know exactly where the best water was, and they needed water right here now, right now. So they put a well down that's deep enough to get the water and. Water was a little salty, but they had to live with it. So, yeah, it was very salty, yeah. <laughs> very, yeah. Un definitely undrinkable, yeah. um, barely tolerable. Yeah. I could barely even brush my teeth. <laughs> but it was really terrible, and uh, I hope we never get to that point here in Guam. No, there's no reason for us to. We and um, we we don't set our wells deeper than 40 feet, and the water lens in the places that we developed is usually about 100 feet deep. So we've got a lot of Headroom, hmm. uh, and uh, and we're monitoring it. We we've got good data on it. One of the things that uh, we've learned from the comprehensive water monitoring program is is how the lens responds to recharge and how it responds to pumping. And we've got we've got good data on that that we provide to the policymakers and the legislature and the regulators and Guam EPA and the producers of GWA. Fantastic. Senator? Oh, so I just have a question for Dr. Jensen. Sure. So are we in a drought, and how do you determine that? I should have brought Dr. Lander with me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, one of the uh, uh, 
I mentioned a little while ago this study that we just recently completed, a 16-year record of how the water lens responds to, to recharge. We started uh, the data set in 2002, and uh, the end of the data set was 2016 that we were using. And it's, it documents the fact that the lens fills up quickly when you have wet years, and it drains slowly during the dry years, which is exactly the way you'd want to design an aquifer. Mm. And it turns out we really got uh, lucky when we set up that uh, data collection program when we did because the first uh, five years were is the second wettest five-year period in the history that we've been keeping records. And it was culminated by Typhoon Ting Ting, which put down one of the heaviest rainfall that any hearing what that any any storm has ever put down. It, it, it didn't have damaging winds, but it it rained really really hard. Mm. And and then that was followed from from uh, uh, about 2008 by the second driest five year period in history. So we had a perfect natural experiment, and you can see the lens thicken during the first five years, and thicken real fast, and you can see an immediate response to the typhoon, and and then you see a slow response to the drought years. And uh, we, uh, uh, um, we, we, like I say, you, you can see that the, the lens fills up fast and it holds that water. So it, it's designed to get us through the droughts. Now, we are having a, a, a Mark Lander told me just the other day that the uh, uh, this particular March and April there may be a record dry season uh, dry season months. We normally get about two inches of rain a month during March and April. We had about a half an inch uh, during March and a half inch during April. So it's one of the driest dry seasons we've had. Now that doesn't necessarily mean you're in a drought. It depends how you define a drought. It has to be several years. But but one of the things that's important to know is it doesn't matter how dry the dry season is because the, wa the water lens doesn't get any recharge during the dry season anyway. We get all of our, all of our recharge during the wet season when we get about 70% of our, our rainfall. That, uh, that comes during the year, comes during the six months from July through December. You know, what matters is how dry or how wet your wet season is. We, we get a lot of that as well. We get a lot, <laughs> definitely we get a lot. It's rainy season's coming up, I heard. Um, yeah, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it really is. You know, I, I know living up north in Dededo, um, the lawn is not as green as it used to be. It's, uh, but it's coming back. You know, It'll green up. Yeah, it definitely will. I got to get ready. <laughs> Time to cut the grass. 23 minutes after seven. Uh, Dr. John Jensen and uh, Dr. Joe Roos and uh, good Senator Sabina Perez in the studio. Man, Land, and Sea is brought to you by our good sponsor, the Guam Coastal Management Program and the Bureau of Statistics and Plans. We thank them so much for sponsoring the show. And uh, you know, speaking of dry weather, you know, we did have a lot of wildland fires because of it. So. Mm. Terrible stuff. Terrible stuff. Wildland fires. They were everywhere, too. Yeah, they were. Yeah. And it takes a lot of resource to take them. Uh, and, of course, you know, the uh, the soil gets uh, eroded down to the oceans and right covers the, the corals and damage the corals, smothers the corals. Uh, once again, um, 
gentlemen, I, it's a pleasure to have you in the studio. Um, a lot of good stuff we we're talking about. Uh, uh, that PFAS, the, the one that got me really interested and excited or concerned so with the PFAS. If you want to learn more, there's actually a conference next week. It's the Pacific Islands Environmental Conference hosted by Guam EPA. Um, they actually have an expert coming in from New Jersey mm. um, to talk about PFAS. So, um, and when is this? It's next week. I don't. Know, I have to look at the schedule, or there's something online if you can check. Um, sure. Yeah, you see conference. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, I would highly suggest if you want to learn more about that. Um, yeah. And yeah, we do plan on uh, having an informational hearing at the legislature uh, in July regarding PFAS. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're trying to recruit people to be part of the study, the biomonitoring study, uh, because we've been exposed to this chemical for so long, and it, it does cause. Um, Testicular cancer, I just looked it up. Um, also, um, I think liver cancer. Let me just double check this. My goodness. So it causes, um, so uh, it can cause developmental effects in, to fetuses. Um, so it can cause low birth weight, altered puberty, skeletal variations in, uh, um, our, in fetuses. It causes cancer, testicular and kidney. There's some liver effects, um, immune effects. Uh, thyroid effects. So thyroid is something related to your metabolism, mm -hmm. um, and so it can cause, you know, potentially obesity. Not, it could be connected to obesity. Oh, we um, already have that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't help to have uh, thyroid effects. Unfortunately, um, here in Guam, uh, that's a problem. But uh, yeah, I think that it is very concerning and something that we should be uh, on top of, completely on top of. You know, just. The uh, health health risks really, you know. And right now, you said, uh, Joe, it's not really a major concern right now, or what? Well, it's a growing concern. I mean, it's still we're looking into it now for the first time. Hmm. You know, it's up the last half year or so. Something very, yeah. I'm. Uh, <laughs> you got my interest very, very much. Uh, I know it hit the news in 2016, uh -huh. and uh, I believe that's when EPA came out with their maximum level. Mm -hmm. um, and I think with any kind of uh, contaminant, it takes a long time for it to be uh, included in the Safe Drinking Water Act. Hmm. And so here we're living on Guam, um, you know, close to military bases, which use a lot of chemicals that are not yet listed. And so, um, you know, what the agencies are testing may not be enough uh, to ensure the health of our community. Yeah, and, th and that's my point right there. You know, um, we need to be on top of this. We need to ensure that uh, we're getting some. Uh, we're not going to be uh, affected by this in the long run. In the long haul, you know, and to wait to, you know, if we need to get a machine that, to do the testing, get it. I think it's a, a worthwhile investment by all means. Twenty-seven minutes after seven, and. Uh, Bronson, you got something? We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Take two. And action. Want to know more about the latest films hitting the theaters? Watch Take Two Coming Attractions with yours truly, Tony Wilder II, Wednesdays on PNC at 5.30 p.m. on ABC7 and 7 p.m. on Fox 6. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, as well as a movie review every Friday at youtube.com slash SMUGlong. Take Two Coming Attractions is sponsored by Pizza Hut and Bank of Hawaii. And cut. Okay, let's do that 500 more times. 
Holiday sports fans, this is Leo Paimo, your Guam sports guy. Ever wanted to know your favorite Guam sports stars on a more personal level? Well, I've got you covered with our bi-weekly segment on PNC called Fast, Featured Athlete Sports Talk. Watch rising talent in the sports world on Guam. Share their lives both on and off the court or field every Monday and Thursday at 5.30 p.m. on ABC7 and 7 p.m. on Fox 6. Sponsored by Community First Guam Federal Credit Union. Fast is a Red Dragon production. Coming attractions promo, take two. And action. Want to know more about the latest films hitting the theaters? Watch Take Two Coming Attractions with yours truly, Tony Wilder II, Wednesdays on PNC at 5.30 p.m. on ABC7 and 7 p.m. on Fox 6. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, as well as a movie review every Friday at YouTube.com slash Take Two Coming Attractions is sponsored by Pizza Hut and Bank of Hawaii. And cut. Okay, let's do that 500 more times. Half a day. This is Shalisa from Wiseau Animal Hospital. Wiseau has been caring for our community for over 13 years, providing ultra-modern veterinary services and setting the standard for animal care on Guam since 2005. Now we've gone a step further to create a charity that helps improve care on island for strays and other animals in need. 100% of the donations to the I'll Be There For You Fund stay on Guam to improve local animal care. Check out our website at wiseau.net or give us a call at 646-CARE. My local message is brought to you by Sorensen Media Group and Wise Owl Animal Hospital. The biggest night in Guam music is coming. The 2019 Island Music Awards, presented by Burger King, where you can always be your way. Power 98, News Talk K57, The Shark, Cat FM, ABC7, and Fox 6. Another 
Got to get you into my life. Yes, okay. 30, 32 minutes after 7. Van Lennon C., Dave Duane is with you, Dr. John Jensen, Mr. Joe Roos, and the good Senator Sabina Perez in the studio talking about some really nice, cool stuff. Uh, some of it nice, some of it, you know, we just talked about PFAS, um, a uh, health hazard to our community. And, uh, and I, I was asking during the break... Uh, What's going on with Weary? Anything, uh, any special projects you got planned? Well, we're, for starts, we're trying to get a, a better picture of the subsurface up there. When we, when we talked about nitrogen being an effect, but nitrogen comes in different forms. Okay. And really where it enters at the surface from, for example, a septic tank or a sewer line, it's usually in the ammonium ion form. Mm -hmm. It may not mean much to you. But in nature, um, if it's in a biologically active zone, that will convert to nitrate, NO3 ion, and that's the only form we're finding it in down at the water table, which means the, the aquifer is biologically active. It's, it's a healthy aquifer, and then it's just not just dead rock, mm -hmm. especially the upper parts. You can't see my hands, but <laughs> in the upper zones, it's um, closer to the surface. There's more bacteria, but those bacteria are not necessarily the, the problem there. They can help us. It's mm. like that's what we have in a wastewater treatment plant. You have bacteria mm. consuming the waste. That same process takes place in nature. Mm. So in principle, yeah, if um, contaminants enter at the surface, if we can follow the change in the form of the contaminant, then we have a good idea of um, what's happening down below. Um, on the mainland and other places, so often when you have a an aquifer, frequently it's very deep, and up closer to the surface you may even have an aquitard, so a zone where you have water close to the surface, which is um, not suitable for use, but then a much, much deeper zone, maybe even under pressure, they get the, but over here it's not like that, it's all tentatively exposed, but still it's very down, very far down, hmm. and so there's a lot taking place between the surface and maybe some 400 feet down lower when you get to the water. Um, we know that it's holding up well, but we'd like to have a better picture. We don't want to push it to its limits. We want to keep a good safety zone. And guess who's walking in the studio? We've got a special guest, <laughs> another guest on Man, Land, and Sea, Banji Lujan with the Guam Water Works Authority. Hi, Dave, Banji. Good evening. Hi, Dave. Hi. <laughs> Man, I know Dave for very long. We used to do Guam Coastal Management Program. Have a we seat, Benji. Do the show, man, man, and see. Yeah, as she yells from a distance. Or you can join with me. <laughs> okay. We can share. I'm sorry, Dr. Ross. I know you were talking. Yeah, Dr. Ross, you were mentioning. How, how do you get a picture of that? Well, we know what form nitrogen is up near the surface, and then how it changes as we get down deeper, starting uh -huh. from ammonium to nitrates. Um, that that gives us some idea, <laughs> a, a picture and numbers of what's happening in, in chemistry. Uh, yeah, but it's not like getting a camera down there. Mm. No, but okay, that's what I had vision. No, <laughs> okay. And you Brunson. guys are on camera too, by the way. Do talk K fifty seven Facebook. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doctor Rouge was saying they can't see my hand. I was going to tell you. Yes, they can. The only difference we're not on on the TV, yeah, like, like, no TV. like they do in the morning and midday and afternoon shows, but we are broadcasting 
live. You know, streaming social media live. is TV anyway. Now. Yeah. yeah, we are live on Facebook Live. So there's so, one question that wasn't answered is uh, how often do they test the, the chloride levels? Uh, does uh, GWA? So every all the um, GWA has to do regular testing of all their wells. They uh, do it periodically. I want to say every quarter for all the wells. And so I think chlorides are all in one of the components that we test for. In fact, uh, J July we're required to do the water quality test, which shows what what the results of all the data that we've collected throughout the year. And it comes we're required by US EPA to have that available to all the public. So if you're a ratepayer, I I know a lot of people throw it on the ground at the post office. You see it, and so, but it's the re actual requirement that you have to have a uh, flyer sent to your um, if you're a customer to your address and so be looking for it it should come out in July that mm. is a US oh, EPA nice. regulation so it, it, it describes all the um, things that we test for in all of our wells so we do two types of testing right one of them are for all the wells and the other one is that um, we test the entire system every month so we have Every week, our lab people go out to various spots without the, throughout the island that have dedicate that have people. Some of them are in residences where they take samples from their spigots, and sometimes it's outside, and so of course it has to be disinfected. And then there's all kinds of rules and regulation re regarding that. So it's not just from the source, which is the well, all the way to throughout the distribution system, which it, and finally to the tap. So mm -hmm. that's done every every month. So. We are very, um, there's a lot of regulations that are mm -hmm. required for managing water systems and we're in Fantastic. compliance. One of the things we were talking about uh, before you came in was this PFAS. Are yes. you guys testing for that? So, um, you know, like the Senator said, in 2016 we were notified of the new levels of PFAS. And so uh -huh. fortunately for us, we had, um, I think it was two of our, our wells ended up having a hit for PFAS that was above the level. And so that's A25 and A23. Those are located in Agania. And so um, what our general manager, Miguel Bradalio, did was take those completely offline. And so, that, and so that's one of the ways. But the other way, the other thing that we're doing, and so that we're really mitigating it by monitoring it, um, we, through our studies with Weary, have done uh, some, uh, specifically for A23 and 25, right? We are taking uh, samples monthly. Uh, we worked with Dr. Denton on that project, and then Dr. Kim is going to take over that and include additional things, including where that source is. Because it's one thing to find it, it's another thing is what are the contributing factors that we are now seeing it in. These exactly. Areas. And so one of the things that we'll see is that um, on critical wells that may have a hit of any kind, and um, I think two of them, as I said, are above the level, the rest of them are not. So what, but they have indications that there's some PFOS in that, in those water systems. So we have put in a GAC, a, like a carbon system. You can tell us what a GAC is, right? <laughs> <laughs> some, what is it? What do you call it? GAC. It's a carbon filter. Oh. And so we activated carbon. So it seems to be what a tr the, um, the PFOS molecule is attached to it. And so we are not seeing those levels after the GAC system is put on to the wells that have any kind of hits. So basically, those wells are all, um, we monitor them monthly. Good, that's so good to hear. Really so we really are paying attention as to that, that particular um, contaminant. contaminant, right? Mm -hmm. 
unregulated, as the senator said, and so, it, which means it's all, it's, there's not a lot of um, requirements. They haven't really set the standards for it, but I guess that that's, it's becoming a very big issue, and so I'm sure that that's coming down the road, uh, what the new contaminant list of, of all the things that we're supposed to be testing for. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, the good thing, you, you coming in has already eased me a little bit. Yeah, but Dave, PFAS is found in so many other things. No, true, as Dr. Roos mentioned, but... Uh, microwave popcorn. Really? Oh. Yeah, you know that bag that's shiny when you put that in your microwave popcorn? Uh. You are ingesting PFAS. Okay, that's oh. enough. <laughs> so it's not just water. PFAS is, is, is being... The other thing is that you ever see uh, water bottles or juice bottles, uh -huh. and then on the cap you turn around and there's that um, waxy... Yes. yes. So uh, right on film top. on top of it that protects, that's also PFAS. Wow. Scotchgard has PFAS in it. So there's mary, many things. So it was like a fire retardant, right? But it's also for <laughs> other purposes and other purposes, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the big ones that we see is that if, if we're going to be regulating PFAS for health conditions, we also have to look at the other variety. And so, I mean, I know that US EPA is taking the forefront on this issue, mm -hmm. but really Food and Drug Administration and other uh, federal agencies that are monitoring Good our point. health Good really point. need to be engaged in this conversation, and I'm not quite sure if it, where that really is. Yeah, yeah so that's, that's why we point. should stop drinking bottled water, right? Absolutely. No. <laughs> you, uh, GWA's water is perfectly clear. As Dr. And Jensen knows. And great to have. And it's <laughs> pure to eat, to drink. It's very good to drink. Yeah, but it messes with my coffee. It does not. <laughs> it makes it taste like chlorine. Yeah. Uh, you want to you filter out the chlorine, that's for sure, because the byproducts well, of chlorine really are not healthy. When you, you smell chlorine, that means the water's safe. Yeah, uh, true, yeah. true, no. that's true. You know what's Don't funny? chlorine. <laughs> when you mentioned that, what's that unit? Gap? Gap. Gag. Yeah, I, I, for a minute I thought you, you you said gag. You know, like gag water. No. So I said, oh, you're telling the... Uh, what is that? You, you, you can get your own. Don't talk. Don't tell anybody. No. <laughs> you have a gag order. And that's one thing I think that really GWA is really trying to do is really be transparent and open about all these systems and all of the data that we have mm -hmm. and the frequency of the data because, you know, we are all ratepayers and we all have families and we don't want to have cancer. We don't want to have gunky no. water. We want no. to be able to provide good water to the community. And I think that we're meeting that mission and certainly we are able to do more mm -hmm. and that's basically what it's really good our partnership with the senator to help us with what needs to happen to update our regulations and of course working with weary, with weary. Yes. We, we have a long partnership with weary yes and no and you have uh, eased a lot of my concerns just coming in with this short period of time and the people of guam you can be rest assured we got vanji luham at guam waterworks she's with the water what is exactly i'm the senior regulatory analyst in compliance and safety oh my doesn't goodness. that sound impressive wow right? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but really it's a lot of work mr kemp's really the one that does all the work wow no but you know again you've uh, eased a lot of my concerns and i think the people of guam are in good hands with uh, Banji uh, overseeing that, and we got Weary, of course, and they're in great collaboration. And the good senator is making sure that uh, they get the funding. <laughs> well, we're all providing the funding. Yeah, I believe I believe in investing in things. Uh, so as long as our people are learning this, these new skills, and yes, and in, um, in a green economy, so you know, promoting environmental uh, stewardship, I think is important. I believe so too, and uh, I so that's one of the things that I think that I had. Uh, spent a big part of my 
career with the Guam Coastal Management Program yes. versus and with the government of Guam. And uh, when people say, "Well, what are you doing? Going to do at a utility agency?" I think, uh, and I did a lot of natural resource work for a very, very long time. And I said, "My God, they're managing the largest natural resource we have on the island, mm-hmm. the aquifer. Yes. It's really a, a natural resource. It's very one of the most so. important ones that we have. Very, and so very, all very. The work that I, the things that I've done through um, watershed management, with all of that, is really playing into how important the aquifer is and what we have to do. And so all the things that Dave, you and I used to do in terms of coastal cleanup, yes. in terms of." planting trees and yes. all of that now I I use at GWA to for really what we need to do to be a sustain to ensure that the aquifer is protected and that it's sustainable. And I think if you take one of the weary classes they talk about the geological formation of the aquifer and I think it's like a natural wonder because it took the deposition of millions and millions of these organisms with shells and, and that sure. that created this aquifer. So I think um, you know Guam is very blessed to have this. Um, and I think because of that, we need to really protect it because this is the only resource. If we lose it, then what's going to happen to it? This is the this is the foundation of sustainability on our island. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so one of the things is that, and I'm not sure how it works, but we've had the benefit of the aquifer tour that Dr. Jensen's been responsible for, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure are they doing that during the PEIC. Um, I don't recall. No. I don't recall. But it's always done during the U- University of Guam Sustainability Conference, and truly, it's an eye opener for people that live here and that don't realize how that's one how of the important the aquifer yes. is and what a gift it truly that's is. That's one of the main reasons why I, when I was thinking about who can I bring in as a guest, I thought of Weary. Yes. People don't understand what the water lens and the aquifer is all about and myself I don't know everything about it neither you know it's very interesting stuff very very interesting and uh, you know again we are we are on TV maybe you should have bought some graphs or something (laughs) (laughs) but uh, it's just wonderful to have you guys in in the studio and talking about this and uh, we got a caller call again there Bronson got uh, 46 minutes after 7. Uh, once again, uh, we are Man, Land, and Sea, News of Guam and our island environment. And I'd like to thank, our, our, again, our sponsor, the Guam Coastal Management Program. I know. They thank sponsoring you. the show, and I'm so thankful for that, and the uh, Bureau of Statistics and Plans. And uh, it was my um, intention to bring every major player in regards to our environment Mm-hmm. From Weary to the Department of Agriculture, we got them coming in a little later uh, next month. We got people from Solid Waste. We're going to be talking about all aspects about um, our environment. And uh, no, we just had a caller call in. Yeah, he was oh. just asking. He was just uh, asking about where we're streaming. I told him k57.com. Our Facebook is down right now. News Talk. I was just looking at it, but that's down. But k57.com. Yeah, mm. you can see us live, live streaming. Oh, yeah. We got a call once from Florida. Of all places, you know, but uh, that was a call again from well, Florida. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. And uh, yeah, again, uh, the environment is very fragile, and only us can take care of it. We want to make sure it's around for our next generation of, uh, you know, our children, our grandchildren. Did, did Doctor Jensen talk about the monitoring well project we're doing? I, I did a little bit, but you want to say some more? No, about I, I, want you to say, I think that one of the things people don't really realize is that um, the first that a lot of people do, are doing a lot of work on managing 
the aquifer mm-hmm. and surface water as well, but managing the aquifer. It's not something where you see, so people don't necessarily pay attention. But it is really is really at the forefront of doing that. And we have a project um, because we want to make sure that what happens to our, our aquifer is not what happened like in Saipan and other of these other areas where they overpumped and uh, mon- managing all the contaminants, which I know a lot of people are concerned about. And so in addition to the wells that GWA has, which is really for production, for us to service the community, we also have monitoring wells. And um, we're working with USGS and WERI and the Department of Defense on these wells that they're not, they're strictly there to study the aquifer, to see what's going on and to manage it because as development occurs, one of the biggest fears we have is that we're not going to be able to have enough water available for the community. Mm-hmm. And that's what this project really is about. Yeah. Yeah, the, the one Guam aquifer monitoring program is going to double the number of observation wells that we have. And when you say observation, monitoring wells, are they actually pumping water out to well, the community or are they strictly just for uh, monitoring? I, I like to use the term observation wells for these deep wells that span the entire thickness of the lens because we're observing how the lens behaves. The term monitoring well is, is more widely used for for uh, environmental monitoring where you're collecting samples to see if there's contamination in the water. Mm-hmm. So when we put in a new well, I like to make sure that people know it, it's not because there's a, a threat of contamination that we're putting the well in there. It's, it's to observe the aquifer and and manage it, as Benji was saying, as opposed to fixing something that's wrong with it. We're we're getting it. this is preventive maintenance. Yeah, really. be proactive. Yeah. yeah, we don't want to be reactive. Oh, we got a problem. Okay, yeah. let's do it now. Now, too late. Too late. I have a, a question for um, Weary, as far as um, Dr. Jensen or Dr. Rouse. Um, so, what is the effect of deforestation on our aquifer? Good question. <laughs> okay, it, it's such a good question. You guys. Essentially, anything near the top, in the, in the root zone, up near the surface, that's mm-hmm. like I said, a biologically active zone, which offers protection. Yeah. But it is um, a small part relative to the full depth, where you're talking hundreds of feet to get down to the actual water. But it's, it's part of the picture. Yeah. Sure. It, yeah. Ironically, it might actually increase the recharge because we lose water to the plants that pick the water up on the way past the root zone. That, that said, that's not really much of a threat because the, when the plants are thirsty during the dry season, when we're getting the light rains, you don't get any water past the root zone. That's one of the reasons we don't get any recharge during the, the dry, uh, season, dry, dry season. Mm-hmm. During the wet season, when the plants are green and happy and uh, have enough water, you get the water going past them and uh, the uh, and we get recharged and then you get to recharge the yeah water. fantastic so what so about when uh, pervious surfaces concreting or jungle where you're, you're preventing the flow of water what yeah. is the effect of that well you're you're redistributing the recharge yeah what does that mean you're you're sending it to other places where it descends by percolation so you're you're not changing the amount of recharge right. unless you're just being redirected you're just you're just redistributing it so it goes to different places. The main threat of pavement is not so, is not loss of recharge. In fact, again, it 
might increase the recharge because you're reducing evapotranspiration. But but the, the thread is water quality. Mm-hmm. If the, the yeah. dirt and grease and grime that's, on, that's source. on the pavement is, is going to go straight into yeah. the going to go straight into your water supply. That's what the concern is about all of this illegal dumping, right? Is that mm-hmm. you're, you're having a pathway to the aquifer. Yeah, it's itself. a water quality problem, not a water quantity problem. But unfortunately, I think a lot of what this development, uh, how it's working is that it's actually draining out the water to the coastal areas. Or um, it's, it's a direct path out. <laughs> anyway, it's, uh, it, it adds to surface runoff versus recharge. So I think it really depends upon how this development is occurring. Um, you know, where is it? Where is it directing the water? Is it directing it out to the oceans, where we, we lose that opportunity uh, for drinking water, or is it directing it, you know, to an actual uh, pervious uh, spot, which would, would which would add to the recharge? So, I think that's you know, it's um, it's not a, yeah, I would I would uh, actually, it's I think it depends on on as far as making uh, paving, making concrete surfaces. Because a lot of you notice a lot of the drainage goes out, like um, in here in Tumon, and Tumuni, it goes out to the oceans. Mm-hmm. And we have the flooding issue, right, which is becomes a um, erosion issue, a coral reef issue, all of that. That's a big concern. So, it, it, of course, it's in the north, it's not just about the aquifer. It's also about coastal resources. So we have to, the concern about development is that there's a lot of impact that sometimes we don't necessarily really evaluate for cumulative and secondary impacts, right? Yeah, yeah. The other thing is the uh, sinkholes. I believe uh, where he was creating a map about sinkholes and their importance as far as, um, you know, it's a direct path potentially to the aquifer. And um, I don't know if you want to explain that. Sinkholes are the Mother Nature's natural drainage system for a limestone aquifer. The volcanic terrain down south has rivers that drain it. The north has sinkholes that drain it. And those are active when you have enough rain that falls uh, in a high-intensity storm to fill them up. And everybody's seen ponding basins fill up. Mm-hmm. Ponding basins are usually just sinkholes that have been enlarged and deepened because that's where the water goes anyway. And sinkholes are Mother Nature's natural ponding basins. Water, water when it's ponded in those, can descend to the water lands in a matter of just a day or two or even a few hours or maybe even minutes. And uh, so it's important to keep that uh, water clean so that those uh, sinkholes, when they're full of water, are not uh, uh, taking water, contaminated water directly down in the aquifer. Do we have that situation here? Someone had asked me, um, where you see them in other places around the nation where uh, houses are collapsing in sinkholes. Do we have that? Situation here is the is our limestone yeah. supportive that that you don't have that issue. There, there's potential for that, and you know, and occasionally something gets into the news where they're building a road and there's a little collapse. Yeah, that happened in yeah. the East Agania, remember? Yeah. That was from yeah. a storm drain. Yeah, well, mm. it, it created a sinkhole because the storm drain was leaking and eroding the uh, yeah, soil uh, up above. It's unfortunate that. Uh, geologists use the term sinkhole for two very different kinds of things. There's uh, a closed depression that forms by dissolution where you get a a puddle that dissolves the limestone underneath it and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and develops a hole in the ground. So you get a depression developing from top down. Those are called solution dolens to distinguish them from the other kind, which is a collapsed sinkhole that forms when you get a, a void, a big cave underground and the 
ceiling of that cave collapses as it gets bigger and piles on the floor and then the ceiling collapses again and eventually it breaches the surface and that's where you, you, you see the, the pictures of the shopping malls in Florida that have caved in and that sort of thing. So there, there is a little potential for that, but since um, we're uh, up lifted 200 to 500 feet above the sea level, we've been out of that zone of dissolution for a long time, whereas Florida, you know, the maximum elevation of Florida is just a few tens of feet <laughs> above oh, sea level, goodness. where that kind of dissolution is going on even now. Uh, in modern geologic times, so so that's not so much of a threat. But uh, the most important threat is the one Senator mentioned that uh, if you get uh, uh, during a heavy storm, a tropical storm or typhoon, mm -hmm. you get sewage release into mm -hmm. a, a sinkhole, or instance, or in the pathway that goes into a sinkhole, it's going to go pouring straight down into the into the water lines. Mm. Do, do we have any projection? You don't have protection for sinkholes, right? Wasn't that uh, something we Yeah, that was something I was interested in, and uh, yeah, I think we need to revisit that. I think, yeah, it's very important when people see sinkholes, they, they want to fill it up with trash or or, <laughs> yeah. or just cement, and they, do they, they don't realize uh, the importance of a sinkhole, mm. and um, so we need to protect that um, mm -hmm. as it is. Much and like um, well has, wells have uh, well have protection plans, so you can't develop within a 300-foot radius of the well. Really, it should be larger because you don't really know, like Dr. Jensen had always said, that you know that's a, it's a nice thing, but the water here doesn't go straight down in the, aqu in the aquifer. It goes all over the place, and that's mm -hmm. not necessary. So, but we at least have a buffer around each of our wells where no development can occur. And then with the 1,000-foot buffer, there's um, um, input from other agencies as the type of development that occur on those wells, around the wells. Yeah, and going back to sinkholes, when you plug it up, I mean, you, you can potentially get flooding, and so... That's something that should not be occurring <laughs> in the yeah. north because it should be draining properly. Correct. So flooding is a, a, an occurrence because we're not developing it properly. Yeah, it's better better to recharge our aquifer than to create a flood up right. above. You know, right. yeah. uh, we're just a couple minutes at the top of the hour, and I want to thank you, 100%. I thank you, Senator, for coming in. Thank you so much, Dr. Jensen. Yeah. Thank you from Weary Our and pleasure. Dr. Bruce. Thank you for coming in. Vanjie Lujan from Waterworks Authority. Thank you. Very informative, very, very interesting topic. And actually, now that you're here, Vanjie, we go on. I wanted to talk about, but we don't have enough time now. Next the, time. Uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about the capital, capital improvement project. Oh, that there's plenty, and we should bring in the whole crew, and they can tell I you about I will do that. that. Even well, Agent Orange. Well, you know, Ooh. when we talk about the aquifer, and mm. we talk about anything in the environment, we're... Many people don't think utilities are managers of the natural resource, but in fact, we are. Yes. And so, as they should be. So, mm -hmm. all the work that we're doing under capital improvement is really to, it's all geared towards providing service to the community, but also protection of the aquifer and all of our water resources. Yeah, thank you. GWA does a really good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you again to all my guests. Thank you for coming in. I'm Dave Duenas. Thank you for tuning in to Man, Land, and Sea News of Guam and our Island Environment.